I have with me Delia Efron, who's a great novelist, a screenwriter, co-wrote You've Got Mail, among other things. And her new book, Left on Temp, A Second Chance of Life, I have to tell you guys, is an amazing read. I couldn't put it down. And of course, this woman really knows how to write. And she takes you along on her journey. And a lot of it is very sad. And you think, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And then, well, I'm going to let Delia tell you. But she went through a lot. Um, Early on in this, she lost her sister, Nora, one of four girls, all writers. And then her husband, a writer, Jerry, both Jerry and Nora get got cancer and passed away from that. And then Delia did what a lot of us do when we have circumstances like that. You sort of take care of things you never thought about. In this case, Delia's husband's landline. And as she says, she ended up in Verizon hell. But on the other hand, she owes a lot to Verizon because if she didn't do what she always does, wrote about it, got in the New York Times, her life would have been a lot different. So welcome, Delia. Congratulations on the book. Thank you. And let's go back to the annoying Verizon and how, as you said, you complain the way you know best. You write about it. Yeah, um, you know, I, I, well, if you've ever lost someone that you've, I mean, I, I've been married to Jerry for 32 years and I was so displaced. And then you're trying to do everything that you can to sort of organize your new world. And um, when I disconnected his landline, Verizon crashed my Internet. And I, uh, I spent, I swear, weeks on the phone with them getting disconnected and then having to call back and obey their prompts, which is such an upsetting thing to have to do. You have to be polite to them after they're rude to you. It's very agitating. So I wrote a piece that was both sad and funny about this, this battle with Verizon and, uh, you know, and, and five months later, really, it was, it was, wasn't in instantly, but five months later, and it was three days after the first year anniversary of Jerry's death, I got an email through my website from Peter. Peter was a psychiat is a psychiatrist. He was then living in the Bay Area in Marin County and he wrote me and he, he had the same problem disconnecting his wife's phone. I mean it turns out that is a universal problem. You end up I got so much mail on that from people who've been absolutely tortured by their phone companies. So um, he's, he said, you know, we had, we had two or three dates, I don't know, 54 years ago. And you didn't when remember, When you were 18. Right? No, I did not remember. I still do not remember. Um, I was thinking maybe I should have hypnosis or something to remember. <laughs> he said we went to a football game, and I have some memory of being at a Columbia football game with some snow falling. And he said, yes, snow did fall, but I don't remember him. Anyway, I got this completely charming note, and Nora had fixed us up. So it was so amazing oh, that, weird. you know, she was gone, and yet there she was, and here he was. And 
you know, I, I, of course, I, first thing I did, two things. I sent it to Google. a girlfriend to see what she thought of this note and if I should answer it. And she said, yes, he sounds like someone to get to know. And the other thing I did was I Googled him, of course. And I finally figured out, I couldn't find a picture, but I figured out that he was an expert in sexual harassment, that he'd written two books about, you know, men in in places of authority who use it to abuse women. And he was an expert on that. He testified in court on behalf of women. And in the 80s, which was long before it was what fashionable in any way to do that, I, I thought, oh, my God, this is a substantive man. So I, we started writing. And, you know, I was not looking to fall in love. I actually hadn't really cr- something that actually crossed my mind. And the next thing I knew, I, we were we were in love. And we were writing these endlessly long emails. And then we started talking for hours on the phone. And it was, you know, it was just. It was kind of a miracle. Well, and anyway, as you, you know read from reading it. my book, what happened next, which is that, of course, when you, you know, if you fall in love in your 70s and death is so close, you can reach out and touch it. You, you have to, you have to tell everything that you might have had or could have. And I, I knew that I had, I had been a bone match for my sister, Nora, but they didn't wouldn't use me, and she didn't want it anyway, right, but Nora they wouldn't had use a blood. me. Let's tell, remind people, Nora had a blood uh, cancer. Yeah. Oh, right. that, Nora had leukemia. Uh, I mean, she had myelodysplastic syndrome, with, which morphs almost inevitably into leukemia, and hers did. And uh, the only way you can really cure AML, which is a, a acute myelogenous leukemia, is to have a bone marrow transplant. And I knew that I was a match for her, but they tested my marrow and they saw my marrow was a teeny bit wonky and they didn't want to use me. So I was being tested every six months just in case something might happen. This had been going on for eight years. But you were okay. But it totally. Was just I was 100% the, fine. Every time they did my blood, my, my doctor said, this is the most boring good. blood I've seen today. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. Come back in six months. And, and then... You know, uh, I went in four months after falling in love with Peter. I mean, it was it was such a passionate relationship, and we were so it was so powerful. And I went into the doctor for my six month checkup, and she ran my blood, and I had leukemia. There it was. There it was. Um, you bet, right there. Right. You had and a gift given to you, and then you're terrified it's going to be taken away. Yeah, because right. You I had mean, it lived was just, through it. Yes, I did. Um, I guess. I mean, my book is really about four years of my life left unturned. When things so wondrous and so tragic happened to me that after I survived it all, I thought, you know, and I and my writer's heart started beating again because, believe me, getting cured from leukemia is quite. It was quite, oh my God, harrowing. It was. uh, I thought I would never write again. And then I just, you know, I started to get well, really well. And I looked at those years and I thought, this is everything you could ever want to write about. Really, you've just had this amazing thing happen to you. You lost, 
a mate, you know, just such serious loss, then love again, then threat again, of death. Again, a threat of loss. Yeah, and, and yes, and and then so much luck, good and bad, that it made me wonder about things like miracles. And I thought, well, you know, I have to write this. I mean, life just gave me a story. I'm talking to Delia Efron, left on 10th. Her memoir, Her Second Chance of Life, her rebirth in many ways. And if you've ever known anyone or heard about the treatment for her particular blood cancer, people, it's worse, people say, than the disease. And many people just give up. They cannot go through it. And you try to give up, but your community could not possibly allow that, including your new love, whom you had married after you were diagnosed, Peter. Yes. We, we, it was that weekend that we were sitting there, and I knew I was checking into the hospital on Tuesday, and, and I was making French toast and thinking about where my life was now, and Peter suddenly said, you know, we should get married. And then he just kind of heard himself say it. And then he stood up and said, will you marry me? And mm. and I said, yes. I mean, we always thought we would, almost from the very beginning. And so we we went out the next day, and we got a license and a ring, and I checked into the hospital on Tuesday. Oh. And then we got married in the dining room on the 14th floor with a few close friends. You know, this book, Left on 10th, is also about the power of friendship. Exactly. Because I was not just carried by Peter, but I was carried by the love of my girlfriends, and um, I call them women warriors. But, you know, when you get sick, I think you kind of have to think about who can take this journey with me, who will be the right people. And I just had this amazing group of friends, not a big group, because, you know, you can't take a lot of people on a trip like this. It's not a party. Not but, at all. you know, I... But I was so nurtured by them and by Peter. And and the treatment is so grueling. I mean, not just the chemo and how you get so sick from it and you can't eat and you're taking thousands of pills. And I became, I was in the hospital 100 days and I oh, was, I I was just a rag that. of a person. And I just kept, mm -hmm. at that point, I was so depressed. Uh, have you ever been deeply depressed? No, not like that, but no, you're no, such I a good writer been. that, but we felt what you were feeling, and uh -huh. that's what's so extraordinary. I kept shaking my head and saying, is she, well, you know, I knew, of course, you were going to come out the other end. Yeah, but because I wrote the book. <laughs> because you wrote the book and because I have friends who play bridge with you. Oh, She's oh. going to survive. She's <laughs> going to survive. And right. You know, like, how do you know? I know. <laughs> Don't ask. But yeah, I know. Anyway. You know, even my doctor said when she read the book, she started to worry about whether I was going to make it. Nobody, I know. You know that it was like, how I, could Trauma is what I love. Through? And I need to keep, I do need to keep people turning the page. It's one of the things as a writer that's important to me. Because it's the way I like to read books. So, um, But you know what, Delia? And this is even before the hideous treatment. You know, I have friends who for through loss or divorce or whatever will often say, I, I don't necessarily want another husband. I need a companion. I need a companion. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't you. It was different. 
because you had plenty of companions, women yes. and men, you know, from a hairdresser on. No, no, had... I, I have, you know, I am very bonded to a number of people who keep me right. floating. I, I, I am. And, and, I, and, you know, I was trying to think about that because I've been asked a lot about that. You know, is it brave to start another relationship or something like that? And I don't, you know, it just happened to me. I, I didn't I didn't know I was looking for it and I, I think part of being alive is being open to things and I, I just suspect I was open to it. But also I had had a very happy marriage, so I had good feelings about marriage as a safe and nurturing place. And so I I think also, you know, I had this really crazy dream which I wrote about in the book, which I I really wanted to spend some time with Jerry after he died. And, you know, there's no way to do that. That's what's so awful about death. And I'd had a wonderful dream about Nora. And in dreams, people can really feel like they're alive. So I said, I want to dream about Jerry. I want him to be with me in a dream. And I dreamed this dream in which he said to me, I want a divorce. And I said, Mm -hmm. what? And he said, yes, I want a divorce. And I said, but but we can still be friends, can't we? I mean, I can still come over and talk to you whenever I want, right? And he said no, and he walked out the door. And I woke up in a state of complete shock because, of course, in a dream, it felt like Jerry. It absolutely right. was Jerry. It was Jerry. real. Yeah, it was absolutely real. And yet I knew it wasn't Jerry. It was me. I had this dream. And in this dream, I was telling myself, he is not there for you anymore. You have to go forward. He's not there to go into the next room and tell everything about your day and laugh and discuss your work and all that. He's not there. It was like I was being ruthless with myself. And and so I think I I think I understood that from that dream that I was really on my own. And he was and letting there you was go. Life to be had out there. Also, you know, I do like to have fun. I'm not real um, out. I'm not an extrovert exactly, although I can give an impression of one. But I'm, yes. I'm, um, I like to be alone a lot. But there, well, you're a I do like to have fun. I like to laugh. I think that 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 the joyful part of me wanted some exercise. But you were also willing to take a chance. I have friends who say, "I I can never have another real relationship. I'll never get undressed in front of a man ever. Yeah. I can't bear to look in the mirror myself." Yeah, that's a big thing. <laughs> Here you are at seventy years old, and you are suddenly I mean, madly you know, in love. I just went out the window. All those feelings. Went out the window when I met Peter. They just did. Unreal. It was just so passionate. And and I believe me, I was I'd be the first person to say that. You know? Well no, I Unreal. wouldn't actually. But um No, you would uh, make it funny. But, I, but or... I really understand that totally. I mean Wow. Especially in this culture, you know. Of course. Of course. And then you did brave things. You went to visit where he lives. And then he came back to New York. It's actually, it's quite an amazing story because everyone says, how does something like that happen? He also, we forgot to remind people, when he contacted you and everything, he had suffered loss too. He had lost his wife. Yes, his his wife had um, died of lung cancer, although she's not a smoker. um, And um, 
so he had experienced loss, and he had experienced loss when he was very young, which is that when he was seven, he was playing outside on Central Park West and 102nd Street or 103rd, and um, there he heard this giant scream and a crash, and he looked to the street, and his mother and sister were hit by a car. That's awful. And so that he had trauma from a young age. I mean, his sister survived, but his mother did not. And that was the last time he ever saw his mother. I mean, so he, he, I mean, the fact that Peter's a psychiatrist, that he's a healer, you know, that was also mm-hmm. part of the miracle for me. Who else could have taken me on this journey through hell, through the, you know, well, through this tunnel? Who else could then, have been my guide but Peter? No, and he was there. Yeah, Even in I the mean, hospital, he was like they couldn't believe it. To it. So, and, and when I was so depressed, of course, and, and my girlfriends are saying, you We're know, worried. look at her. She's, you know, are, are we letting her go? And, and he said, look, I'm reading the, I believe if we can get through this particular crisis, she will survive. And he said, you can't let a really depressed person make decisions for themselves. They don't have their proper mind available. But then and he was yeah. just clear. He said it was hard as hell, but he he knew that. He just knew it. That you would get through, and he would be there. Delia yeah, Efron, I mean, he was such a, he's such a hero in the book. Part of he's a hero the book is oh, totally part of why I think the book is you know is is getting Resonating. as much love as it is. Is Peter? Is so we all listen. We all want Peter. Delia, yeah, okay, but give us Peter. <laughs> but, but, but I've but got here's, him. <laughs> you got wonderful. him, but here's a question. When you go through that kind of experience, and I actually have a friend who went through that kind of treatment, and oh my God, it's beyond belief. It's so yeah, devastating it and horrible. But I was curious, you survived, thank goodness, and you and Peter went home. And we forgot to mention that with all the losses, your beloved dog died too. So there wasn't an instant when something wasn't happening. Yeah, it's it's really true. Uh, You know, I'm I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but the hardest thing for me to write in this book was the loss of Honey. I I just I I couldn't admit that I wasn't there when she died. I I had so Mm. much trouble, and I just kept forcing me. You know, a, a memoir has to tell the truth. Everything should tell the truth when you write. But, of course, in this book, it was my rule, to be honest. So um, I had to just keep forcing myself. And people have written me that that was, if you have a dog, you know the law. So it's just unbearable. I know. And um, so part of that is also the rebirth of of getting Charlotte, my new little pup. And, you know, the only thing that gets you over one dog is nothing really gets you over losing your dog. But but it does help to have the joy of a dog in your in your life. It just really does. Um, I'm talking to Delia Ephron. But again, when I just want to say one thing, I think I've gotten a lot of mail from this book, um, emails and stuff. And 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 lots of people have some uh, Peter, you know, somebody who got them through. Someone who who loved them, whether it was uh, someone they're in love with, or someone who was just very close to them, or a child, or their their grown child, or you know. But you need someone. You do need somebody with you. I, I really would say that if you're going to go through something that traumatic, it's helpful to have someone 
who's there every day. And pulling you through, who understands. Yeah, yeah, who believes in you, who believes in it, and and who always buoys you. And knows that person who is Mm -hmm. suffering so terribly is not the real you. It's the you that that has to survive. That is so important, Joan. Thank you for saying that, yes. But you know, Delia, the curiosity, you survive the unsurvivable. You come home with this extraordinary human being, a, a devoted partner, a loving partner, was it, or could you not remember, the same as it was before he embarked upon this dangerous trip with you? Um, when, no. What uh, happened? I have to say that that, that we were in, in the midst of the, the heaviest romance, and believe me, this this actually put us into a quieter type of place. love. You know, that requires almost a suspension of it doesn't even require it it causes such a suspension of any that's what one of the things that's so curing about falling in love is i all that all that loss i'd felt all that sorrow i mean all i could feel was a kind of a glow from being with peter from feeling sexually alive from feeling all of that and then you know boom this diagnosis and and it Comes. did immediately I say we we still we we still romantic, but that particular type Different. of romance requires a, mm-hmm. uh, it didn't it it put us into another place and and we had to really figure out we get along just incredibly well and we're you know it's it's a wonderful relationship but it of course it <laughs> it did you know affect that of course and Delia in addition to everything else one of four girls including the older girl, Nora Efron, who, um, as Delia points out, ran as fast as she could throughout her life. And the girls had to have the inevitable comparison. And the fact that Nora Efron died from leukemia adds another dimension to Delia's story. Does she have to have the same outcome? How can she circumvent that? The book is really important read as well as funny and loving and scary and about the importance of love and friends and the importance of life. So you did a great job, Delia. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, much, Joan. It's such a pleasure to talk to you. It's an honor. You, you, you too. Delia Efron, Left on 10th.